Welcome, everybody. No, this is not Ian Hess, but yes, this is still the Heron Outlet. Another episode here. I believe it's episode 11, talking Inter Miami. Alex Winley is here to join me. We have Andres, our producer, on the other end. And a slight omission from Ian, but he will be on the back end of this episode, just like I have been doing for the last couple of weeks. I think I got one week in there where I got to talk with everybody. Uh, But as you guys know, we are here to talk Inter Miami. They are coming off a very good draw uh, if you see it that way, obviously a win would have been a lot better, but a very good draw nonetheless against Orlando in Orlando, nil, nil Miami kept their first clean sheet since May 2nd, the third game of the season against Nashville and another nil, nil game. Very happy for Nick Marsman. If you guys have been listening to the show, you know how happy I am about that. Uh, but I wanted to get Alex in here. Hope you're doing well, Alex, and get you to talk about Nick Marsman. I mean, what a game. What are your thoughts? How did that all go down for you uh, watching from home? And and what did it look like on the TV when he made that amazing save off of the set piece? Yeah, Austin, I think that, you know, in in the post-game conference, Marsman said he was happy to be of use to the team, which which was funny to say because, you know, his, his inner Miami debut – you know, he he conceded five goals, but that wasn't necessarily his fault. It was just, you know, the Revs are probably going to go on to win MLS Cup. So watching that at home, I, I thought, you know, I thought he did a, a phenomenal, he did a great job. I think Inter Miami's defense needed that clean sheet for, for a long time. It was a long time coming. We've talked about it on the pod. We've, you know, you've talked about it several times. I think that you know, them going up to Orlando and getting a draw against a really good side, you know, that, that could potentially go on to win MLS Cup. It it, it was huge and, and Marsman was a big part of that. Not only was not only not only did he save the penalty and, you know, he also made that crazy 85th minute save to basically uh, give, you know, save uh, a, a couple of points for Miami. So I think that's I think that's what Neville and Chris Henderson wanted from him when they when they inquired when they acquired him from Feyenoord. Really, uh, Inter Miami needed that sort of goalkeeper. You know, they haven't had that since Luis Robles. You know, retired last season, and you know McCarthy for all the good he's done. You know, he wasn't that first choice. So, you know, we're finally starting to see Nick Marsman come into his own with 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 Inter Miami and that backline finally starting to to gel a little bit. Very quickly, just a a random thought I had as we're praising Nick Marsman here. If he were to have started day one and had a full preseason, because Nick Marsman himself has mentioned he did not have a full preseason, not a preseason at all, really, and just came in and played after one or two days of training. And that was obviously the 5-0 defeat. But if he were to come in early and have a full preseason with the team, do you think, and honestly, right now, I think it should be this way, but do you think that he would be looked at as one of, if not the best goalkeepers in MLS? Uh, in MLS? Um, well, I, I do rate Matt Turner pretty highly, so I don't know about, you know, in the league, but I think if that were the case, Inter Miami would have not had, had you no, know, they would have they would have not had conceded that many goals, you know, in, in the first half of the season, you know, uh, you know, especially, you know, looking at the, the galaxy game for one, you know, that was a winnable game. Should, should Miami had, you know, just clear their lines and be defensively focused and whatnot. And, you know, 
I touched on McCarthy earlier, but you know, with Nick Marsman, he he brings a different element. His distribution is really great. He's he, he's really tactical. He, you know, he's a tactical type of guy. You know, you hear him in the the pregame and postgame uh, uh, press conferences. He's always talking about you know the the shape of the team and where guys are supposed to go and how things are supposed to look on the pitch. So I think as he grows uh, into his inner Miami shirt, I think we're going to see him become much more of a leader as well. But, you know, looking back, I think if Miami did have him, you know, week one, I think Miami would have been in a different predicament right now. I thought I think they, they would have been, you know, sitting in a in a playoff spot, at least for sure. You know, having a goal, goalkeeper like that to 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 back your back line, you know, it, it does wonders for the defense. Yeah, I totally agree. And another game that I look at, too, that had a goal that definitely should have been saved was uh, the Chicago game on the road at Soldier Field earlier in the year. Ah, that Chicago game. (laughs) (laughs) Which Miami did not play great, but at the end of the day, it was only a 1-0 loss, and John McCarthy had a howler, and that's kind of what what gave it up there, uh, gave up the result there away from home. So uh, other than Nick Marsman, uh, in this match against Orlando, we have to talk about this Florida Derby. And I don't know what everybody calls it, by the way, the Sunshine Classico or just the standard Florida Derby. I know there's like turnpikes all over the place, these names. Uh, But nonetheless, it always brings a very, very good competition uh, between the lines on the pitch. And Miami had to do it without Gregory. Can you just talk quickly about what his omission meant because it seemed to me especially in the beginning of the match I guess Miami had to take their time growing into the match without him they did not have a lot of control within the first 45 minutes and when they did have control like I said it was towards the end of the first half and it seemed a lot of the time that Orlando was going to score early in the game they even had that penalty attempt early in the game and I believe too that there was an offside call I don't know if that was in the second or first half an offside call after a Janssen screamer that touched Akindele so it it seemed like Miami struggled to control the game in terms of possession and in the midfield where they had actually been doing pretty well but obviously that was with Gregory so can you talk about the loss of him and what his importance is to the team going forward and as captain do we need to question you know or look at Gregory and say, hey, you need to be careful on the pitch. You need to be careful with those yellow cards. He's acquired very, very many. If he acquires three more, then he's going to have another suspension. And at this point in the season, coming up to the playoffs, is he a player that Inter-Miami cannot afford to lose? Yeah, I think with Gregory, we all saw that, you know, Inter-Miami was missing that that bit of bite in midfield. I think with Neville's tactics, he tried to, you know, play the game a little, you know. Uh, I think you discussed this on your timeline uh, during the game that Inter-Miami was playing super narrow. You know, Robbie wasn't, he wasn't, you know, playing as that left wing option that we know that he can play as. And Pizarro was tucking in uh, pretty uh, deep into the midfield and, and and if you look at who scores uh, average player positions, Egoyen was dropping deep in midfield, which is what Inter Miami and Fanavo don't want. We need uh, 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 Gonzalo up top in in the in the penalty box. So with with Gregory gone, basically, you know, Inter Miami had to maybe compensate a little because if he was on the pitch, I think I don't think we would have. I don't think the club would have played as as narrow. I th- I think that. You know, with Gregory, he's such a good defensive player. I, I don't think that um, 
you know, you know, he, he him on the pitch would would have given the freedom to Robbie and a Pizarro to stretch out a bit more and to try a bit more, knowing that someone like Gregory was behind them cleaning up, you know, whatever mistakes they there there were. So with Gregory gone, you saw Miami play a bit narrow, tried to nullify anything that uh, Oscar Pereira and Orlando City did, but that also nullified Miami's attack a lot. They weren't able to get a lot of shots on on target. It was a pre, it was a pretty slow sluggish game for Miami. You know, Robbie didn't look himself. Uh, Iguain, you know, he was dropping deep. He didn't look himself. So it, it was a it was a difficult game. And yeah, going forward, I think Gregory has to be careful with that. You know, yellow cards. Uh, you know, he he's the type of player that likes to you know stick his nose into tackles. Likes to you know get amped up. You know, likes to defend his teammates. But at the same time, he needs to. You know, he needs to be careful, basically, to, to, to you know, he's a, he's a key piece of Inner Miami and him, you know, getting suspended every four matches, it, it, it especially going into the playoffs, it, it'll only hurt Inner Miami in the long run because let's say, you know, let's say he, if he's he gets suspended against, I don't know, a future opponent and uh, I don't know, I think the team plays Nashville again. Let's say he's not available uh, for Nashville, then, you know, Nashville's players like Hani Mukhtar and Ronda Leal, they'll be able to run circles around um, a Tweedy Victor Ujoa of double pivot in the midfield. So with Gregory, with Gregory there, you know, that might not happen. So I think he needs to think long-term that him maybe flying to in to flying hard into tackles isn't the best option and picking up a yellow because he him and lgp are, are are the type of players to just get stuck in and and just get their nose into things so the, both of them have to be careful and and going forward i think that's that that is a bit of a concern for inner miami he he does so well to to play defensively and protect the back line and and him in a in a double pivot where he's more on the defensive side allowing Matuidi to go forward at times he protects the back three this new center back these three center back formation that Neville has has decided to use and that he's been successful with he protects the back line so well and I have to also give credit now to this back line and what they did against Orlando despite giving up the chances they still did not concede a goal uh Macoon, Figal and Perez all had very good games, in my opinion. I didn't see much struggle from the three of them until it came to uh, Daryl DK coming on, and I was not a fan of the McCoon DK matchup at times. But at the end of the day, I think those three guys deserve a lot of credit, and I think that they're building um, very good chemistry at the back, and it's it's providing a lot of comfort for this team, especially in front of a really good goalkeeper in Nick Marsman. Now. I think we all know about Figal and LGP. You know, they, they are top class center backs who can develop a really good pairing and, and can be solid defensively at times. Yes, they might make some uncharacteristic mistakes a, a, and be a little too aggressive. But at the end of the day, when instructed to do so, and when they follow instructions, they can be very good center backs. But one person that I have been very skeptical about over the course of the season is Christian McCoon and he absolutely stepped it up and he has stepped it up in these last couple of matches. And I don't think that a lot of the defensive errors have come just through him. And if there was any defensive errors, you can look at the team as a whole. McCoon has been pretty solid in the back with this back three and two wing backs helping talk about Christian McCoon for a second, because he's a young guy who was unproven. And now with the injuries to Ryan Shawcross and they even brought in Ventura Alvarado, but he is injured for a couple of weeks. I mean, he has been phenomenal. And 
one thing too that you're going to have to look at without Kieran Gibbs, who went down with an injury for a couple of weeks. Breck Shea is going to be there. McCoon getting better and better each week. It seems you have a little bit of comfort when looking at the back line, correct? Yeah, I think with McCoon um, playing in this back three, it helps him a bit more than a flat back four. Uh, you know, there have been periods earlier in the season where McCoon did play in a in a back in a back four and. You know, he didn't look the most comfortable, and that could be due to, you know, him not being entirely uh, comfortable with Phil Neville's system or his tactics yet. But seeing him in his back three, it's it's given him a bit more, uh, you know, solidity on the ball. He, You know, we, we've seen him, you know, grow into a really good passer. He's uh, beginning to be, uh, become a really good one-on-one defender. You know, he, he still has to work on some things, of course, but for, for a guy who is not the tallest, for the guy who's not the strongest, you know, he's getting his positional, you know, his positional awareness is, is quite good, actually. And I, I know that you've been really critical of Christian McCoon, but I, I'd have to I'd have to commend him with with his turn of form, really. I think that, you know, you know, especially with the sanctions coming up, McCoon, and we'll touch on this later with Fort Lauderdale at CF, uh, uh, Mayma Bika uh, next year, that, that's a, that, you know, the two of them starting together is a, a very real possibility, you know. So uh, I'm, 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 I'm glad to see McCoon, uh, uh, you know, regain his form, especially what he went through last year with COVID. And uh, I did read a report that he did have some, uh, uh, some you know struggles after that, which is natural with the with the virus like this. But I, I'm I'm really happy that he's getting back in the form, and and that back three has been uh, really good to him. And I I would even argue too that I'm not necessarily fully on the McCoon train, but with with how this back three has been playing, um, when Shawcross and or Ventura Alvarado are healthy. I believe there was a health report that came out uh, earlier this week saying that Alvarado is going to be a couple weeks and they are monitoring Shawcross on a day-to-day basis. Uh, When they come back or when either of them come back, I'm still going to start Christian McCoon if I'm Phil Neville. I think that you need to keep familiarity and with how the team has been playing. I mean, they've lost one in their last, what, six games or five games. With the familiarity in this back three, I think that it makes sense to keep McCoon on the field until either something drastic happens or he needs a break or being so young, he needs a break or, you know, you never know what could happen. But to have the comfort of Shawcross in behind him, maybe even uh, Ventura Alvarado, I think that it would be really, really good for McCoon to keep on playing until, you know, you need to make a switch. I don't think you need to make a switch uh, at the moment. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I agree. I think that, you know, I I don't want to be, you know, rude to Ryan Shawcross, but he didn't really look too comfortable, you know, at times with Inter-Miami. You know, there were a couple games, especially, you know, earlier in the season, the Nashville uh, 0-0 draw in Nashville, that he he had a great game. You know, he basically stymied everything Nashville wanted to do. But, you know, as time went on and, and as Christian McCoon has regained his form, I think that, Shawcross has, you know, obviously fallen by the wayside and, you know, it wouldn't, excuse me, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, I don't know if you agree if maybe Intermommy will try to move him on. I don't know. He's not played in a long time and he's a guy that, you know, has been injury prone when he's played for Stoke City. So, and, you know, maybe throwing him into a game, you know, a full 90 minute game after he's had such a long injury layoff would, you know, it could you know, he could get injured, you know, he can injured 
another part of his body. I'm not saying that he's, you know, completely broken, but, you know, Shawcross has had an injury uh, a history. So, you know, it, it's a difficult situation, but with McCoon and LGP and Figal, you know, you, God forbid, knock on wood, um, LGP or Figal pick up a yellow card suspension. You know, who who does Inter Miami start? You know, Leardom. Uh, Neville has tried that, and you know, it, it's hit or miss sometimes. So, um, while McCoon uh, um, regaining his form is absolutely brilliant, I think I am a bit worried about Inter Miami's depth that that position, especially since Ventura had knee and uh, knee surgery, and, and Shawcross is you know day to day with back spasms. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that uh, we should you know uh, just look on going forward because it 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 could come back to bite and remind me in, in the butt, I feel. Ryan Shawcross has been day-to-day with back spasms for like three, four weeks now, maybe back even longer. Spasms. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> there There might be something else going on there. I know that the the little tricks in the media from the staff and, and from Phil Neville, you know, when he talks to us sometimes, it's, it's not always fully accurate. There could be something else going on, but for the, for the sake of Ryan Shawcross and the depth for inter Miami at the center back position. I hope that it's just back spasms and he can come back because at some point LGP and Figal are, are going to get a yellow card suspension. That was a great, great example that you gave and you're going to need to plug him in um, at some point throughout this next stretch of games. We're also going to need him at times when I think McCoon does end up feeling uncomfortable. And I think that a time like that, although I think that he should be starting a time like that could be coming a lot sooner than later uh, after following the Gibbs injury. Gibbs, obviously a much more quality player than Breck Shea, but in that Orlando game, Kieran Gibbs went down with a groin injury and also in that injury report that came out earlier in the week, at least a couple of weeks for Kieran Gibbs for him to fully recover and get back on the field, meaning Breck Shea is likely to, you know, go right into that left wing back role. I believe Jovan Jones is still walking around with a huge, huge, uh, some sort of, I, I don't know what it is on his leg. It looks like it was a... You know, it's helping with an ACL injury. It's something that I've noticed before. So I don't know if he had an ACL injury. I don't know exactly what it was with Jovan Jones, but I know that he is still recovering, meaning that Breck Shea is probably going to be the starting left wing back in this five at the back going forward for Phil Neville until Kieran Gibbs is healthy. And that might leave a little bit of discomfort defensively on that left side. You know, with Breck Shea and McCoon over there, that pairing has not really worked out too much this season but at the same time that was in a back four compared to a back five so maybe it's a little different hopefully it's a little different uh for inter miami going forward but i I wanted to touch on uh kieran gibbs here for a moment and what the loss of him could might could mean uh for inter miami i think he's been quite the help I, i said earlier on that you know before they even came in that gibbs would be the most influential and positive impact signing I think I'd have to give that to Marsman at this point, but at the same time, after the Orlando game, of course, but Gibbs has been very, very consistent. Obviously he doesn't get to go 90 minutes all the way. He he was still recovering. And now with this injury setback, it, it looks a little deflating, but the loss of Kieran Gibbs and what he's done for this team so far. I mean, how, how big is that for inner Miami in this next stretch of games where they need to start picking up points if they want to be serious playoff contenders? 
Uh, it's it's a big loss. Uh, I won't even lie. When I saw him, you know, clutches his groin, his hamstring, I was, you know, my heart was in my throat because uh, uh, we all know that since Gibbs has come here, he's been, you know, very, very good on that left hand side, combining with Robbie well, you know, getting into the attack, having shots on goal. But, you know, even during his Arsenal and West Brom days, Kieran Gibbs has been uh, pretty injury prone. So and I think his his inner Miami career started off in a in a, you know, uh, you know, even, you know, like if you listen to Gibbs in, you know, press conferences, he, he, he said multiple times that he wasn't fully match fit and he was basically running on 70, 60 percent. So it, it's a shame that, you know, eventually him not being completely, you know, fully fit, uh, it caught up to him. And then and, and it's unfortunate now because, you know, while we we all love Breck Shea, you know, Shrek, he, he's become a bit of a meme, but he's still a very good player. Uh, he he doesn't he you know he doesn't provide that type of dy- dynamic uh, presence uh, uh, both in defense and attack that Kieran Gibbs does. So I think it'll be a huge blow, and you know it, you know it, it is what it is. It's MLS. You know it's it's a it's a league where you don't have a lot of depth really. So you've got to you've got to make do. So um you know there are options there at left wing back you know Breck Shea is there Sammy Gadiri you know he's there I I like to see him get a couple of games you know I I think he's a real talented player you know worst case scenario uh, Neville can move Lewis Morgan over to left wing back but you know I I I don't think that that'll happen but yeah it's unfortunate and you know it's a shame. Hopefully he recovers really quickly. You know, it, it happened right at a time where, you know, Miami was just starting to get, you know, the, their feet under them, you know, they, they were, what, um, they haven't lost in their last, well, what is it? Eight or eight or eight, eight games. You know, their last loss was against NYCFC, you know, and the rest have been draws or wins. So it, it's, it's unfortunate, but you know, like, you know, like the injury situation the club had earlier in the season where Victor Ujoa had to play at, at right back, um, you know, it's the next man up, basically. And right now it's time for uh, Breck Shea and Sammy Gadiri to be that next uh, player up in, on the roster. Yeah, it's coming at a very crucial time for Inter-Miami. I think we talked last week a little bit about, you know, the run of games coming up, the amount of non-playoff teams that they're going to be playing where they should be picking up points. And if they want to contend for the playoffs, they are going to have to pick up points. Um, And they have been doing it. Like you said, in the last eight games, their only loss is to New York City FC. I think I undersold that a couple of minutes ago. I said five or six games. No, it's been eight games with just one loss. And this is following a six-game losing streak. So Inter-Miami have been on a roll lately. And not losing is very, very important. But it's going to become even more important when you're playing against teams like FC Cincinnati, Columbus, Toronto, and the Red Bulls, and teams that are on the bottom half of the ladder in the Eastern Conference looking to get in. If you can get in above them, get points against them. All these games are what they call, quote-unquote, six-pointers. I mean, these are very, very crucial for a playoff race. Miami have played 20 games in the Eastern in the MLS 2021 season. It's not the ML. I have to. I, I always. I don't know if I'm the only yeah, one. Do you go the, back um, and forth about the MLS and then calling it MLS? I it happens all the time. Yeah, I, I see a lot of people get upset when people call it the MLS. I don't know. It just depends on you know the sentence structure or what you're talking about because the MLS is appropriate in some circumstances. But you know, I try to 
avoid that and call it MLS, you know, whenever I can. So yeah, I, I yeah. see MLS as the the acronym, like the actual letter. So that is my kind of noun for the entire league. I don't usually like use it word to word. It, it is what it is. It's one of those confusing things. American soccer, you can't get enough of confusing things when it comes to it. Um, but I'm looking at the table right now. Miami have played 20 games. They're sitting with six wins, five draws, and nine losses. A negative 10 goal differential, which is not good for them. So they're going to have to pick up actual points and not worry about tiebreakers. So that leaves them with 23 points. Now I'm looking at the teams above them. Chicago, Atlanta, Columbus, D.C., and Montreal. All have played 22 games. I can even actually look at Philadelphia here in fifth place. All have played 22 games. So Miami have two games in hand on every single team above them going up to fifth place as they sit in 11th. In seventh place, which is the last playoff spot in the Eastern Conference, sits DC United on 30 points. Meaning, if Inter-Miami win their two games in hand, they are just one point out of a playoff spot teams that they're going to be going against in the next run of games and we're going to talk about the one that is uh coming up very quickly this this uh weekend cincinnati columbus toronto the red bulls then you have a game against Nashville, but then you have teams that are also not in the playoffs atlanta portland new york red bulls again columbus again toronto again cincinnati again atlanta again and then you fought you finish off the season with new york city and new england a lot of games where they need to be getting points against non-playoff teams in order to get themselves to that number seven spot. It is unfortunate that Miami played DC United at a time where they, you know, those two losses came in the midst of the six game losing streak, but they have a chance to, to, to pick it up against, you know, these teams like Cincinnati, Columbus and Toronto. Realistically, Alex, your, your playoff hopes for Inter-Miami after this in insane run of games for them comparing to what they've done in the last two years are where? Where do they stand and how optimistic are you? Um, After the Orlando draw, I'm, I'm quite... Um, I think Miami have a really good shot. I think, you know, depending on that result, I would have been, you know, if it was a loss, I would have been, oh, okay, that's... You know, I'm a bit skeptical. They need to keep a clean sheet. And I think we touched on it on in episode 10 about how Inter-Miami, if they want to be taken seriously, they need to, to keep clean sheets. So and they they were they were able to do that, um, you know, against Orlando. So, you know, going forward, I think that'll be a huge boost to the defense and Nick Marsman. So with, you know, the Cincinnati game coming up uh, on Saturday, I think. Yeah, that's going to be a crucial match. I think that's a team where Inter Miami should like the Toronto the Toronto match earlier um, last month. That's a that's a game that Inter Miami should be winning. Um, you know, they they beat them uh, at home already uh, up there in T T Q L Stadium. Got to get that correct up there in Cincinnati. They beat them already, so it's it's a, it's a team that you know. You know, remind me have history with, you know, uh, last season they beat FC Cincinnati to to clinch their spot in the playoffs. And this next game can be uh, not a clincher, but a, a game that can seriously launch them into uh, playoff contention. But going forward, you know, remind me also have games against Columbus, Toronto again, uh, New York, uh, the Red Bulls again and um, Nashville uh, and Atlanta. All Those are all their September games. So. You know, uh, if if they play their cards right, you know, picking up ones against Cincinnati, Toronto, 
maybe Columbus. They've been on a bit of a downward slide. Atlanta away will be probably their most difficult game uh, this uh, this month because you know how Mercedes the Mercedes Benz uh, Stadium, you know it, it's huge, it's intimidating. I've been there, you know I have family up there in Atlanta. It's a giant stadium. Atlanta fans are super passionate. It, it'll be. It'll be a difficult match considering the fact that Atlanta also have a new manager in Gonzalo Pineda. You know, they'll be ready and we're rearing to go. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking, looking at their schedule. It, 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 it's, it, it should be easy in theory because they're playing a lot of teams that are, uh, either struggling or, or, or kind of slipping down in the Eastern conference right now, but it, it still, they've, they've got to continue, you know, what they're doing with the clean sheets, you know, creating lots of offensive chances. But as far as the playoffs go, I think the, the month of September will be, will be key on whether or not um, they can, they can jump into the top seven and, and cement one of those spots. So realistically, just, I only want a one word answer when it comes to this. Over the next six games that come in the month of September, Cincinnati, which we are going to dive into next, that matchup coming up uh, on Saturday night. Cincinnati, Columbus, Toronto, New York Red Bulls, Nashville, and Atlanta. What are the amount of points that you are happy with in these next six games? Hmm. Okay. So... Not to put you on the spot or anything, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. Uh, hmm. Okay. So I think that they do, should win the next three. Yes. Honestly. Yeah, that's fair to say. I think Cincinnati, Columbus, and Toronto—they're all teams that are they're, that are struggling. Um, I already beat Toronto three-one uh, last month, so it should be uh, another um, knock on wood easy win for for the Herons. But um, I think the New York Red Bulls game can be kind of tricky. Um, uh, the national it is game. at home, though. It is at home. I think that's going to help. The Red Bulls game and the Nashville game are both at home. And we saw what happened with the Nashville game at home. I believe that was in the Vasilev uh, winner in the 90th minute. Or was that the Pizarro one? I think it was the it, Indy one. Yeah, it was uh, Vasilev. Yeah, and then you have Red Bulls at home, too, who we have not played yet this season. But still, they have been a very subpar team in terms of MLS Eastern Conference standings. I'll give you my number first. I would be happy with 12, but I'm looking for 13. I want to get four wins in a draw. I I think that that would call them very serious contenders when it comes to the playoffs after this next six games, because then you're going into the last month of the season in October. You only have one game in November. Going into the last month of the season, if you can get another 13 points in six games, it would be mind-blowing to the league. And then I think that you're not going to be sitting in 11th place at the end of September, you're going to be sitting in at ninth, eighth, seventh place. So 13 points for me is the ideal number and also the realistic number. At the same time, they can, you know, perform worse than that. I know they're capable of performing worse than that, but with how that they, how that they've, you know, shown themselves over the last eight games other than the New York City game I think there's been a lot of consistency and there's been a lot of room for optimism something that I have not said you know uh, a lot about Inter Miami but they're showing glimpses and they're showing signs and I think that it's very possible to get four wins within the next six games and maybe even sneak out a draw whether it's you know away to to Atlanta or maybe it'll be a tough game against Nashville like it always is. Yeah, I think the next three games are definitely winnable. Cincinnati, Columbus, Toronto, those are teams that 
like I said, they should win. I think the the New York Red Bulls game. Um, I mistakenly mistakenly said that we played. Uh, Miami played them, but you know, I think it's just Miami have played in their stadium multiple times, so I, 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 you know, it's easy to forget that. But that could be a an easy game or it could be a difficult game depending on which Red Bulls teams show up. I think the most difficult game out of all of these in the month of September will be the Nashville game. Although Nashville aren't very good on the road, um, you know, bar that win against Atlanta, they had, uh, I believe a couple of weeks ago at the Mercedes Benz, you know, they haven't, they've drawn all of their, their road games. I'd have to double check that, but they're not such a good team on the road. They're very good at home. And as far as Atlanta goes, I think that'll be, That'll be a tough match. I think that that Atlanta team matches up well with Inter Miami. You know, we saw them earlier this season play at Drive Pink. It was a slug fest. <laughs> it was it was something else. You know, it was hot. You know, it, you know, Lewis Morgan ended up uh, drawing the game for Miami with that stunning solo effort. Uh, Atlanta, you know, in a way they're rivals, but they're not rivals because we both share an enemy in, in Orlando City. But, you know, it, it'll be a competitive game because there's a lot of players that have played for both uh, Atlanta and, and Inter-Miami on Inter-Miami's roster. Breck Shea, LGP, last year was Mikey Ambrose. Uh, so uh, that Atlanta game I, I'm most worried about because it's an away match. But Inter-Miami have shown that they're able to to get wins on the road. So, um, yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I think through, uh, four wins and uh, a draw would be phenomenal that'll definitely cement their places in 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 the top seven and i think it's it's definitely doable for inner miami but it all starts with the cincinnati game coming up this saturday at tql stadium miami have been there once this season already miami have played cincinnati once this season already because it's not a given that if you play in a stadium in MLS that you're playing against a team that normally plays there. And I, I got a little hint there from Andres on the other end. We haven't played New York Red Bulls, but we've played twice at Red Bull Arena, once against Montreal, once against New York City. So I have yeah. to clarify <laughs> that if we play in TQL Stadium or we play in any stadium in MLS, it's not always going to be against uh, the team that, that plays there, especially with the pandemic issues and all of the travel restrictions and everything. But they will be playing Cincinnati again this year. It'll be the third time that these clubs have matched up uh, since Miami has been into the league. The first matchup was a playoff quench, uh, playoff clinching win uh, for the Herons at home at Drive Pink Stadium, but it wasn't called Drive Pink Stadium then. Uh, I remember it was a basic. It, it was a it was a tropical storm going on, and, and the game still went on. Mikey Ambrose scored the screamer. Somehow Miami gets the win and it put them into the playoffs after a couple of results finished right after the match. I still have a vivid memory and picture in my head of a lot of the players and Diego Alonso, you know, holding out his phone and they were all watching results happen and they all fell their way and Aider Miami made the playoffs. Did they do much when they got there? Not so much. But they did get there, and they're looking to do that again this season. And this next stretch of games that we have been when talk we have been talking about, which are so so important for the playoffs, all going to start in in Cincinnati. And when they played them at TQL Stadium uh, earlier this year, I believe it was May twenty second, no May sixteenth, in a three to two victory. Miami seemed to have gained control very early. I believe they had a 2-0 lead to start the match. There was a, a Breck Shea goal and a Gonzalo Higuain goal. But then after the second half started, 
Miami lost control until about the 60th minute, and, and you saw uh, Cincinnati pull one back later on, 82nd minute, tired legs for Miami, and it was 2-2, and it looked like you were going to get a terrible draw after you were up 2-0. But at the end of the day, Gonzalo Higuain gets the goal off of a counterattack in the 85th minute, and that's how that game ended, 3-2. I am hoping, for Inter-Miami's sake, that it is not that close of a game because it would be a real gut-wrencher if it went the other way. What are you expecting in this Cincinnati game, and how how does Miami get the win You know, without Kieran Gibbs on that left side and, and maybe with the, you know, the addition of Gregory? But also, remember, you have lost Robbie Robinson and Rodolfo Pizarro, your two, I guess, supporters of Gonzalo Higuain in the attack. I'm not going to really call them wingers because they weren't wingers, uh, but the two attacking playmakers uh, in the last match are both gone on international break. How does Inter-Miami find three points away from home? I think that Cincinnati, they've got some really good players. You know, there's um, Acosta, there's uh, Brenner, uh, Silva up top. Uh, look, it's it could be a, a difficult game, I think. And Cincinnati have a lot of good players. They've got, you know, Jeff Cameron back there. They've shored up their defense a little, but they're still also super vulnerable. You know, I was watching the Columbus uh, game. They were, they were playing against their, their rival, Columbus, and, you know, they were up. They, they – <laughs> I don't I don't think they were up, but they had control of the game. They were up 2-1, and then they ended up conceding, oh, what was it, two goals in like five minutes, and Columbus ended up, you know, winning the game. So much like Inter-Miami earlier this season, Cincinnati have a keeper in um, Vermeer who, you know, he, he's not the most stable. He's prone to errors. So I think that this is a game where Inter-Miami just need to test him Long shots, you know, short short shots. Just get a shot on target. See if he spills it. You know, it'll be a, it, it'll be a, it could be an easy game for Inter Miami, or it could be a tricky one, like uh, the one earlier this season. I think that, you know, Inter Miami have all the players available. You know, even without Pizarro and Robbie, to be able to to win this this game. I think that you know, with you know Federico maybe Breck Shea starting, Vasilev getting a start. Maybe Leardom going back to right wing back and pushing Lewis Morgan up to to that 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 winger that right winger role. Um, there's plenty of players to be able to beat Cincinnati, but I think if Inter Miami is not careful and you know the defense isn't on par, it's definitely a bit of a trap game. However, I will say that since the, that May game, Inter Miami have been you know they've. They've turned it around. They've gotten better. Their defense have gotten better. They've changed their formation. So that back three, that back five going up and going against uh, Cincinnati's uh, 4 2 3 one 4 3, 3 I think it matches up well numerically. I think uh, Miami will be able to stymie anything that Acosta uh, tries to do as that number 10 for Cincinnati. And I, and I do believe that, you know, if Air Miami can just stymie anything, any attack uh, for for SCFC Cincinnati? I think, you know, maybe getting a goal, getting a uh, two goals, that that should that should definitely be be enough to 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 beat them. 
Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth when you were talking about Leardom playing as the right wing back, pushing Morgan up the field, because without Robbie Robinson and without Rodolfo Pizarro, you're going to see a very different front three. And I think that the only option that Phil Neville has right now um, is to play Gonzalo Higuain and then Indy Vasilev and Lewis Morgan on either side of Gonzalo. I think that, that is the only front three that makes sense. It's the only front three that's feasible and it's the front three that is going to have to do the job. Gregory coming back is huge. I think that him and whether it's Matuidi or Victor Ulloa, I honestly don't care. I, I do put both of those players on the same level other than that Victor Ulloa is a better teammate. Uh, I, I really do in terms of what they do on the field. I put them on the same level at this point in the season. I, I've fully shifted my mind on what I think of Waisman Tweedy. Alex, I think that this is all your fault and you have been implanting it into my head that I, I, I'm just yeah. not big on, I, I'm not big on Matuidi anymore. You've opened my third eye and I see it. Um, so whatever that midfield pairing is with Gregory there, it is much more improved and they're going to have to use him and use whatever midfield pairing it is to take control of the game. Now, it's going to look a lot different with Breck Shea and with Kelvin Leardom as their right wing backs. It's going to look a lot different um, than it has in recent weeks when Phil Neville has been exploring uh, Lewis Morgan as a right wing back, which I have basically fallen in love with. I think it's been one of the best tactical decisions from Phil Neville on the year. Uh, I, I've absolutely loved it, but Kelvin Leardom doesn't bring what Lewis Morgan does. So there's going to be some adjustments that have to be made. And I think that to explore these adjustments against a very weaker side in Cincinnati who concedes a lot of goals and not only concedes a lot of goals, but they don't score a lot on the other end or they haven't, uh, especially recently. I believe they've only scored the same amount of goals as Inter-Miami with 21, but they've conceded the second most in the league, only being better than Toronto. So it comes at a good time to explore new opportunities and instructions and tactics for these players uh, going forward. So, Playing against the weaker side is definitely uh, a huge benefit for Inter-Miami. And I think that they do get the job done. I think that they're still going to find a way to to test Vermeer, as you mentioned. I, I still have very terrible memories of Kenneth Vermeer playing for LAFC in that first game of the season in Inter-Miami's inaugural <laughs> season where he won man, where he won man of the match. Uh, he had a great game, but Vermeer has not been the same player as he was in in past years. He has not been that that stable consistent mls goalkeeper and he's fallen off and he is definitely prone to some mistakes i have seen a lot of highlight reels of kenneth vermeer making a mistake some that he would not want to watch again so i i think it's very important like you said to to test him at any chance you get tell gonzalo higuain to shoot on site if you see any opportunity just take it and hopefully one of them go in i think that that should be be the game control it from the midfield get in and around the box and take as many shots as possible uh, and i think that's how they'll that's what they'll do and i think that's how they're going to get the job done uh with that said do we both agree that they're going to get the job done because if we do i think we should give a little bit of a, a score prediction uh with that um deep down i'm just a paranoid person in general i'm slightly superstitious so part of me does think that inner Miami is just gonna you know, completely, you know, just like lose it and lose like six zero. I don't know. Oh, I know please, I know please, it's please, irrational. Please, please. It's super <laughs> irrational, which is like my memo, but like 
uh, I think they'll get the job done. You know, like I said earlier, that that game in May, it, it's completely, it's a completely different team, completely different formation. The play, uh, the players are playing better. You know, Neville has them playing this this formation where it suits all of their their characteristics. So I think that. Um, I think FC Cincinnati will get a bunch of chances, but I, I do think that Miami will will, will sneak in uh, a couple of goals, maybe one off a set piece. I I don't know that that they they need to do that. It's been a long time coming. That's the so. next step for Inter Miami. You know, we were talking about scoring goals, then they started scoring goals. Then we're talking about clean sheets, and they get the clean sheet. Now we're talking about goals from set pieces because they haven't done that. That should be the next step. They got to score from a set piece. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, that's that's the one thing that they're missing. And it's strange because, you know, Lewis Morgan's delivery has been pretty spot on, you know, for most of the time. But, you know, there's sometimes he misses, you know, he he, he hits the first defender or it doesn't pass, you know, it, you know, you know, like just it doesn't get where it's intended. But his deliveries have been OK. But we're looking at Intermine's back line. You know, McCoon's not the tallest. Figal is he's pretty short and slight as well, but he's very quick. I think the only threat is really, you know, Leandro Gonzalez Perez, and he's the only one really throwing his body at the goal. You know, Gonzalo Higuain doesn't do it. Uh, you know, if Robbie was here, you know, he's six two, six three. Maybe he could get on the end of things, but you know, as of right now, Miami only have LGP just going after and attacking those balls. So. Yeah, it's it's you know it, it not you know re- real life soccer isn't FIFA. You can't just you, you know you can't just press you know, a button and have your players run a certain direction to crowd the keeper or whatnot. It, it takes time, and but in Miami, they it, it's it it they need to get one. You know, it, it's pretty. It, it's getting embarrassing. <laughs> like you know, every professional team they've got you know set, set piece specialists and whatnot, and I believe Miami hired one over the off season to 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 put on Neville's coaching staff as well. So it's crazy that they've not really scored off of a set piece bar that one goal versus the Union early early in the season so yeah it's about time they they get a set piece and maybe it's against uh cincinnati that they finally do that what is your score prediction for the game hmm i i'll say 2-0 clean sheet and the goal scores will be uh lewis morgan i think gonzalo will will get a goal lewis morgan is definitely due for a goal uh he's been you know Himself for the most part, but it, he's been lacking in the goal contribution department. He's due for a goal. I, I like the two zero prediction, but I have my doubts that another clean sheet is on the on the rise. And I, I'll say two one for Inter Miami. Nonetheless, they're going to get a win uh, against Cincinnati, and that hopefully sparks a three four game winning streak uh, this season against weaker opponents, so they can push for the playoffs. Now, I know you wanted to do this, and. I also want to do this because we had a really good performance from the Heronitos uh, on uh, a couple a couple days ago against South Georgia Tormenta FC, a four to two victory. They conceded two goals late. It was four nil. They were cru- they were cruising. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what happened uh, later on in the last seven eight minutes of the game, but. You had Georgia Costa and Mitch Curry. I believe they both made uh, USL League One Team of the Week. Georgia Costa with two goals, Mitch Curry with two assists, kind of reverse roles there. What did you see in that Fort Lauderdale CF game? Because we love to talk about them, and these are prospects coming up for Inter-Miami because of the sanctions, because of how they're going to have to uh, structure their roster in the next couple of years due to the sanctions. A lot of these guys are high-profile prospects. What did you see in that game from Acosta, Curry, and the entire team? 
Yeah, I, I saw a team that's uh, super fluid, you know, in that front three, you know, Sean Hundle starting alongside Mitch Curry. That 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 seems to work a lot. Sean Hundle is, uh, you know, he's a center forward, but he plays very much like a number 10. He's super crafty on the ball. You know, he gets into good spaces. He's 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 a very good uh, soccer player. Hopefully Miami can inter Miami can take a look at him. But yeah, I think, you know, Ascona, I've said it in a previous episode, he's not a winger he is going to to grow into a number 10 a number eight central midfielder I you know he does have the pace to be able to play on the wings but he's definitely a creator he's got great vision he's got really good ball skills but he he, he's a guy that will eventually end up being a number 10 for inner Miami you know he's 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 small, but he's he's very he's such a good and technically great player, and he's very smart and he's very tactically aware and technically gifted. And watching him, it's I don't want to call him messy, but it's very you know the way he finds space. It's and is able to just he cruise uh, between players. It's very messy esque. I don't want to put any pressure on Ascona, but uh, he's a very good player. Oh, oh yeah, and, no no pressure at all. You're just you're just no. dribbling like Messi on a week to week. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I meant, but I like know, I know. He, but like and and even Mitch Curry, he he lined up sort of as a winger, but he was very much involved in two of the goals. He got two assists. He created five chances in the match, and I I wholeheartedly uh, uh, um believe that. Next season, he will be with Inter Miami CF. He is too talented of a player, in my opinion. To uh, this is not a slight to USL League One, but he's definitely a guy that that can be successful in MLS. And I expect Inter Miami to to call him up to the first team sooner rather than later. Later, he's a he's a great player. He's got he's an endless runner. He's got these good, very good hold up play. You know, he's good on the ball. He's he's endless. I, if I can think of a player to compare him to, he's just. In, not messy, but you know, like he's just this dogged number nine that you need to 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 see, succeed in soccer. You know, he doesn't give up on anything, and I rate him a lot. You know, Georgia Costa, another uh, player who is signed to Inter Miami CF, but he's on loan to Fort Lauderdale. He had a phenomenal game. He scored two goals. You know, he created uh, two chances. He had an eighty-eight. Uh, pass success percent. You know, he scored two goals. You know, he. You know, even defensively, he he did quite well. He had three recoveries, and, and you know he he he's he's a ten, yes. But uh, you know the way he plays for Fort Lauderdale CF, he he he's dropping deep and being more of a creator type of uh, of of central uh, midfielder. So if Ascona is a number ten, then George Acosta would be definitely a more creative eight who likes to drop deep, likes to dictate. He's got great vision. He's got an eye for a long ball. Uh, he's absolutely phenomenal. Let's say, uh, for example, if Inter Miami play that same uh, back, uh, that three four two four uh, three four uh, two one formation going into next season, and you call up someone like a Georgia Costa, he will fit in either as those two attacking midfielder wingers or one of the double pivots in midfield. He's very comfortable on the ball. You know, he's the guy that you, you trust to to get a game winning assist. You know, he has a great eye for a pass. And Amay Mabika, I, I need to touch on Mabika. I, I rate him a lot. You know, I, I'm really excited to see him come up to Inter Miami next season, which will definitely happen. You know, he's he's grown with each game. He's a great he's a great dribbler. He's got really good ball skills, which is surprising for a guy that big. You know, he he's tactically aware. You know, he's so 
he's so tall and strong that even if he does misplace a pass, he can recover really well in within two strides. So, yeah, I think there's just a lot of really good prospects, even the ones that we, we don't talk about, like uh, Poplowski and even Harvey Neville. He's redeemed himself from that last game that uh, Fort Lauderdale had where they lost pretty badly. You know, he played well and. Yeah, Darren Powell, he's doing uh, really good with this team. And like I say, you know, if you guys get a chance, definitely watch the Mini Herons on ESPN+. Plus. Their next game is, I uh, believe, the same day as Inter-Miami. Same, yeah, same day. <laughs> yeah, same day. Same day. <laughs> um, they're playing uh, the Chattanooga Red Wolves. That's a crazy name in a good way. But yeah, they're playing the Red Wolves. Uh at 7.30, which is 30 minutes before Inter-Miami takes on FC Cincinnati. So if you get a chance, turn on ESPN+. Plus, um, and then switch over to, to um, was it uh, Channel 33 for South Florida? Oh, I live in Dade, so I, I'm sure it's different for you, Broward folk. But yeah, so so uh, if you get a chance, uh, watch Fort Lauderdale CF uh, before 30 minutes and then switch over to Inter-Miami CF taking on uh, Cincinnati because, you know, the Fort Lauderdale CF guys they're 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 players uh, of the future basically you should definitely keep an eye on them the prophecy when it is fulfilled when mabika or mitch curry or acosta finally get called up and and play for inner miami is going to be the proudest moment of alex's life ever because i have not heard someone not i don't think that anybody else is really doing this I, i i will give a little bit of a shout out to to inner miami podcast the other uh podcast that covers inter miami they, they follow Fort Lauderdale CF very well, but nobody speaks as highly as Fort La- of Fort Lauderdale CF as Alex does. She, I mean, you, you do a phenomenal job. I mean, watching these these players and, and giving real insight um, to, to how they do and, and how it'll translate if they do make the jump to the MLS level. And you have me and I'm sure a ton of other fans excited about what Amy Babika, Mitchell Curry, Ascona, uh, even Georgia Costa, of course, of what they can do if they need to contribute on an MLS level for Inter Miami. So, yeah, make sure you stay tuned to to Fort Lauderdale CF. And I'm going to try and do better uh, because I I know the names and I know what they do, but I am not the most consistent watcher. The only thing I consistently watch is Inter Miami, but that's why Alex is here. Uh, so, thank you for that that quick little rundown. And I think with with all of that. We're getting to a point now where I'm probably going to have to toss it over to Ian for his thoughts. Uh, but before I, I, I do that, I do want to talk a little bit about the men's national, the U.S. men's national team. That is, they have the octagonal coming up, World Cup qualifiers. Uh, we are in the midst of an international window. And a couple of you know reports came out earlier in the week that Pulisic and Zach Steffen are going to be out for the game against El Salvador. That is going to happen Thursday night. Hopefully we get this out before then. I think that it should be possible. But if not, if you are seeing the El Salvador result against the men's national team, which I believe the game is in El Salvador, I am hoping for my personal sake and as a fan that it goes in the U.S. men's national team favor. I think they have all um, the pressure on them, but they also have the quality to get a win in these next three games against El Salvador, against Canada and against Honduras. They need to get the job done with some of the high profile names that are playing in top five leagues over in Europe. They, they just have to get the job done. Simple as that. Uh, but I am excited to watch them. I'm always excited to watch them. And I think that I'm going to probably have to, you know, I would get very analytical about that, but I'm kind of keeping it as a fan for now and just saying 
please win for the U.S. sake, for the nation's sake. Please get the win against El Salvador, against Canada and against Honduras and start off this World Cup qualifying group, which can be very, very tough in CONCACAF, as you know, from the 2018 World Cup qualifiers uh, can be very tough. But to start off on the front foot would be huge uh, for the men's national team, especially playing tough games against Canada and Honduras. So that would be great. Uh, but with all that said, let's uh, we're going to toss it over to Ian. And as for Alex Winley and for myself, Austin Robillard, we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much, guys. What a wonderful conversation this week on the Heron Outlet after a, a really good point that Inter-Miami got away on the road at Orlando City FC. I know that you didn't get the win that you had hoped for this year, Austin, as we had talked about uh, to split the, ser- the, the season series as, uh, as was done last year, but still a valuable point from an Orlando City team that looks to be one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. And as for Nick Marsman, getting his first clean sheet, which I'm sure you guys touched on, but how important that was, not just the penalty save, uh, but really how he controlled the game. Uh, it's rare in, in modern day football to see a, a goalkeeper have that level of impact directly on a game. So very, very big shout to him. Uh, his saves uh, were, were huge, especially uh, in, the, in the early going. I, I think when, when I was going through my stats and, and reading the reports, Inter-Miami had an XG allowed average, uh, so what you would expect the goals to be, of around 1.9. And 1.4 plus of that was done in the first half hour. And I think that that's an important point. I want to talk about it for a little bit because that that really shows some maturity to me that we haven't seen Inter-Miami have so far this season. And even if we want to go back into 2020, uh, this was a team that, has been notorious for losing games late early on in the year. No team had lost more points in the final half hour uh, in MLS than inter Miami. Now they're seeming to find ways to win. We look back to these last second winners that they've found uh, recently against Nashville and, and other games, you know, they're, they're finding ways to solidify points, which I think this turnaround really, goes to show. Let's start with Marsman and what he's done. That first half hour was critical because he was under the gun. And that was a blitzkrieg from an Orlando City team that is in form, was finding their stride, and an Inter-Miami defense that wasn't really intact. They hadn't uh, had a, I mean, that's just the second clean sheet that they've had all year. And both of those have been nil-nil draws. So th- this isn't a team notorious for having, you know, be being stout in defense. So I, I think it was really important for them to get this draw on the road against a very good Orlando City offense and not to get that Nani experience or, or that, you know, Chris Mueller experience or, or whatever that may be that really blows the wind out of the sails. They they held firm and they were very excited in doing so and uh, should be proud in their efforts for it. That extends not only to Nico Fagal, who had an, a decent game, a good, not great game. LGP, who had a better game than he's been playing for a while, but also especially to a Christian McCoon, 
who has been lamented for a while within this squad for some of his past performances and really performed very nicely, in my opinion, this past week. Uh, a very strong performance on him really held that right side or that left side of the defense, right side of Orlando City's offense. Uh, intact for most of the game, allowed Inter Miami. We always talk about that, di- like diagonaling the field, really allowed the the field to to be controlled that way, so that you could angle those balls. That's always when Inter Miami is at its best when Gibbs can start to make those cross ball cross field balls, and and Morgan can get ahead. That really allows them to stretch their legs, and you started to see a lot of that. A very strong defensive shape, and you would expect that in a game like this. But that that organizational tactic, after the first half hour, Orlando really never got anything going. And you can make the argument that the best open play opportunity of the entire match was Rodolfo Pizarro at point-blank range and an absolutely insane save from Galesi. So I think that the the idea that Inter Miami was in this game, a lot of promising things. Now, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? I don't put much stake in it. I still think that there's a lot of questions to be asked, and I think that there is still a lot of season that we need to see, especially in the next two and a half weeks. I don't know if you guys touched on this earlier in the show, but these next four games are all against teams that Inter-Miami need to gain points on. I'm not talking just a couple points. I'm talking maximum amount of points. Maybe not 12, but 10 would go a long way. Nine would go a decent way. Seven probably should be the bare minimum. You have the the likes of... Uh, of Cincinnati, of Toronto, of Columbus, of Red Bulls. These are the teams that you're going to need to gain points on in order to really make a run at this. And if they want to consider themselves as a team that we've talked for the past month or two about that we think that they can be, this is where you have to show it, especially with that long road trip coming up late next, uh, late this month, early next month. It's really going to test them. This run of form could extremely help make that help a lot easier for them along the way. It starts with Cincinnati. Okay. And we'll get to that in just a sec. First, I want to, I want to go back to sort of the, the past the run that they've had because the past five games have been three, one, and one, 10 points. In five games, they've never had a run of form like that in franchise history. Uh, This has been one of the most successful runs that they've had. And it's really brought them back into the pack when you look at where everybody is, how they all stack up. And, And for me, the important part, you look at where they they sit in the standings. Yes, it's still a little below, but they do have the games in hand. And because they have those games in hand, this run of form, that 10 points in five games, the only two teams better than them in the Eastern Conference, New England Revolution, who are well on their way to winning the Supporter Shield, and Atlanta United, who we all know have the firepower to compete with the best in MLS. So when you start looking at it from that perspective, it really brings some hope. And I know that that's scary, Because every single time we think that there's hope with this squad, it somehow gets 
the jaws of, of hope get sucked out from, from all of us. So I know I, I empathize with that idea that maybe it's, it's still too early, even though we're getting into that final quarter race to the finish of this season, it might still be a little too early to believe it, it, to quote Ted Lasso uh, again for the second week running. But I do think that that does show some sign that this team isn't what we were talking about two, three months ago. This team is definitely different. When we talk about the bringing in of Venturo of Alvarado, ho- hopefully soon, uh, and, and really solidifying that defense, getting that first clean sheet for Nick Marsman and, and how they could play a different style of football that we haven't seen them play. I've talked ad nauseum about how it's all on the offense. They have to score in order to get points. Well, they proved me wrong on Friday. They showed that they could play that low block style and be effective in doing so. And I think that that's really important. Okay, I mentioned Cincinnati and I want to shift to them because this is a great opportunity for three points. First off, Cincinnati has not won at home this entire season. Second off, Cincinnati is winless in their last 11 games. Third, Inter-Miami has been one of the best teams, especially in the Eastern Conference, but also writ large in all of MLS on the road. It's very difficult to get points on the road in MLS this this year and in general. It's not typical that road teams do very well in MLS, particularly because of travel, but also because, you know, naturally in soccer, the home field advantage is very strong. It's much stronger in MLS. And it's been impressive to see how Inter-Miami, especially earlier on in this season, were able to gain some points. I think that really this presents a huge opportunity for Inter-Miami with those games in hand to jump the squad, the the rest of the squad, right? Your, Your DCs, your Atlantas, your Columbuses, your Red Bulls, your Chicagos. Because if you're able to get points here, all of a sudden, Let's be honest, Inter-Miami is currently in control of their own destiny to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. A month ago, we all would have laughed at that statement. And so I think that there's a real paradigm shift here in order to be able to make that a possibility. Now, have they had problems with Cincinnati in the past? Yeah, I mean, we go back to the last time out, had a 2-0 lead gave up two goals to to tie it and it took a, a moment of of magic in order to solidify that win but should it have been there let's really think about that for a sec cuz i would say that on paper inter miami clearly the better team and on the field when these teams have played each other clearly the better team so home or away i would really be excited to see inter miami go after this we've loved the three at the back the formation of this the change in the culture of this has really been uh intriguing very been it's been very exciting i would love to go back to vasilev and morgan on the right hand side that works so well Let's see if Robbie is going to come back into and and be available for this weekend's game. Let's see if Robbie and Gibbs can continue that. Let's see this Gregory getting back in after a game off with fresh legs. What can that bring to the squad? Let's see if we can get Iguain back into that golden boot race that he was in for so long. 
as we continue on and as we head into September, these are the questions that are going to be the big ones that we're going to be asking. And I think that they're the most important ones for Inter Miami to really make this run that we, like I keep repeating, want them to make. Not need them to make, not hope that they make, but we want them to make this. This is a team that deserves to be in the mix. This is a team that deserves to be one that we're talking about. And really credit to Phil Neville for for that evolution because it wasn't too long ago that they were running that 4-2-3-1 low block that I know Alex loves sarcastically as much as she does. But they were sitting in. They weren't going after games. And this is a team that really has started to score goals but showed us last week that they can defend as well, right? The two games before that, three goals, three goals. Win against Chicago Fire, win against Toronto FC. Oh, all of a sudden, now we're on the road and we have to go at Orlando, at our rivals, who honestly have had a better season than Inter-Miami has. Oh, okay, now we have to go into that low block, but we're still going to find our principles in that back three or that back five, four, one. However you want to look at that box in the midfield that I'm growing to love more and more every single week. I think that 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 square in the middle of the field is just gorgeous. And the structure behind it is really intriguing. I would love to get into it with you guys more next week. But they, they showed that the evolution of this three at the back can also extend to the defensive part of the field. It's not just about getting forward. We have begged them, pushed them time and time again, get forward, get forward. Listen, I've probably been the loudest one about that. I want them to get forward. Win games 5-4, win games 6-5, win games 7-6. I don't care, just score goals. They showed me last week that you can also have that same principle and you can do it in a more organized fashion. And that is really cause for optimism and really cause for hope and really cause for a maturation of a squad that I think can really give a a good feeling as you enter this stretch of games with Cincinnati, with Columbus, with Toronto, with New York Red Bulls to really get after this and get some points. Have that low block with those three. Have the five when you need it, but also have that extra three that you had against Chicago, that three that you had against Toronto. Go after the game and step on the neck when you have that opportunity to do so. That's really what I'm looking for for Inter-Miami going forward. I want to, before we end this show, touch real fast on the U.S. men's national team. We're starting World Cup qualifiers, uh, a slate of games coming up. And I think if off the top of my head, there's going to be all three games before we get to talk again next week. Uh, Really excited, as Austin, I'm sure you touched on, uh, that Canada-United States game. That's going to be a doozy. Uh, We're going to find out a lot. There's that real big golden generation optimism from that Canada team and that cautious uh, tepidness from the U.S. men's national team. It's been a very long time since the United States has had uh, success against uh, some of the teams that are now in what we're going to call the, I I think, the octagon or the octagonal, used to be the hex. Uh, But El Salvador, Honduras, they present some away 
uh, issues. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see where Weston McKinney plays. Is he a six? Is he an eight? Where are we going to decide uh, on him? And and also in goal is Zach Steffen the number one? Uh, is is Matt, has Matt Turner with the summer that he's had not only with the Gold Cup but in the All Star game has he now jumped him and because he's gotten the minutes been able to make himself that number one up top. Is it going to be a three flat? Is it going to be a one up top and and two sort of similar to that three four three that Inter Miami is playing? Those are sort of the things that I think need to be decided in this first game coming up. From there, it's a quick turnaround. And I would not be surprised if you find a lot of roster turnover, a lot of roster changes from game one to game two, and then from game two to game three with the game three being back to a lot of the similar names that we see in game one. Now, the big question that you have with that is with game two being, if you, if you go through all of it being that Canada game, that looks like the toughest of the three. So if that's the case, do you throw out your a team only for that one game or where do you roll the dice? That's the questions that Greg is going to have to ask. We're going to find a lot on, uh, on this first game and where they're going to go. I don't see it being uh, the same lineup three times in a row, but Greg has known his squad. We, he's been very consistent in that. If you're a Greg guy, you're a Greg guy. And so we'll, we'll see if he goes with the same lineup again and again. Uh, for, my, for my taste, I would rotate a lot more, uh, especially with a three here. In, the, in this uh, September window, especially with the uncertainty around a lot of transfer rumors, Weston McKinney went through it. Uh, 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 some of these guys, Zach Steffen went through it uh, and wound up staying with their clubs or, or wound up in some cases uh, moving on as well. So uh, very exciting to, to see uh, the U.S. men's national team get back into action in World Cup qualifiers. We will cover all of the uh, the results this time next week on the Heron Outlet. I look forward to having that discussion with both you, Alex, and Austin, you as well, uh, again. And we will also break down the Cincinnati game and look forward to the rest of Inter-Miami's season. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Heron Outlet, and we will see you back here this time next week. <laughs>